Hello and welcome to the Future Tribe podcast. Each week we'll be talking about getting things done. We'll talk to people who've built up their businesses, pulled off amazing projects and cover everything from psychology and strategy to the tips and tricks that will help make your dream a reality. We're the podcast that's all about empowering the optimists and the go-getters. I'm your host, Jermaine Muller. You're listening to the Future Tribe podcast and this episode is just getting started. Hi everyone, um, in this episode of the Future Drive podcast, we're introducing a new sort of uh, format. Um, this will run simultaneously with our normal um, sort of episodes. In this one, we're calling it Last Two Weeks on Tuesday. This is our sort of recap of the last fortnight of news um, in the marketing, in the tech, um, in the design sort of uh, space that has a lot to do with what, what we do. Um, so. Um, we'll just hop on the call, hop on a, an episode, um, record it, uh, Hayden or Hayden and I, or, um, myself and someone else, um, will be just going through, uh, what we've picked up over the last fortnight, why it matters, uh, what it means for you. Um, and we sort of, uh, discuss in depth in some points. And in some cases, it's just a matter of giving you an FYI or a heads up. Um, let's begin with saying hi, Hayden, how are you going? Hey, Jermaine, how you doing? Good, good. All right. So we've got a bunch of different articles uh, for this week's, uh, this fortnight's episode. Um, let's get started with Cloudflare going public. Do you know who Cloudflare is, Hayden? Yeah, so I didn't, before you brought up this topic to me, I had a bit of a research on them and what they do. Um, yeah, they seem like a pretty big brand. I saw that they won a lot of awards back in 2012 to 2015 for being one of the premier startups of that time. Yeah, yeah. So are you you may have heard of Cloudflare with the whole 8chan issue. Um, they'd, yeah, they'd, I did read about that prior to getting on the podcast. It's pretty interesting and it's interesting the timing of... So for people who basically don't know, um, Cloudflare has basically stopped rendering their services to 8chan as they believe that um, because it's an unmoderated... Um, discussion forum that they're trying to distance themselves from the somewhat negative community that 8chan and 4chan and forums like this have on the internet. So yeah, they're no longer rendering their services yeah. to uh, the platforms anymore. Um, and this is all happening just as they are about to go public, which is quite interesting. Yeah, it's sort of an interesting time. And for those who don't know, Cloudflare offers this sort of layer of protection um, for your websites. And um, we've used them a few times. They have a free service. Um, if you're, say, uh, facing a lot of DDoS attacks um, or denial of service where uh, essentially servers are attacking your website to try and bring bring your website's server to its knees by essentially just flooding it with um, traffic, Cloudflare can... It offers a certain level of protection, a protective layer that um, sort of mm. bounces them out. So it's an interesting service. It's an interesting thing that they're going public, I think, um, especially with like talks of the recession or talks of sort of a downturn in the market coming around. So, yeah, what did you think? Well, it's always, inter- well, it's always interesting with these um, tech-based companies when they go public and stuff like that because their valuations are always, in my opinion, so inflated. And they only seem to go public when they need all this venture capital to go and do something in the very near future, you know, undertake a big project. So it'll be interesting to see what this IPO 
is going to do for them and what they do with all this money that they're going to gain from it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, that's the other thing as well. Like they've been around for about nine or 10 years now. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with this service. And I guess if it goes mainstream or not, I think it's a bit more, it's interesting that they're IPOing because it's it's more of a de- developer's sort of service. Um, if you're not in sort of the web development space, you don't really hear about it, but um, hopefully it means good things for the future. Um, Sure. And just quickly as well, they already have like a user base of about 19 million clients. Like some of these being, you know, really big companies like IBM. So yeah, as you said, it is interesting why they chose at this time, you know, with the recession looming, Mm. especially in the West to (laughs) go public and stuff like that. But what do I know? But perhaps they're trying to beat the sort of uh, go public before, that that all that bad sort of downturn sort of happens, I guess, and um, sure. beat it, sure. which which makes sense. Um, but moving on, um, I guess a bit more of a, a, a topical issue for us is that Spotify for podcasters, um, it's sort of just gone out of beta um, and offers all these tools now for podcasters. I guess it's coming on the back of we the Spotify uh, they. Um, acquired anchor who we use to host our podcast um mm. so it's sort of coming off this back of spotify getting invested into um into podcasts more rather than just music we we know i guess maybe everyone doesn't know but music itself doesn't make a whole lot of money for spotify in fact i believe most of these services are loss making they're not profitable um so yeah it's interesting that they're getting into this podcast space because um, they've, they've talked about in, inking deals for exclusive content with uh, high-profile fi- uh, figures such as the Obamas um, and Amy Schumer. Um, well, I think, I think, you know, maybe this shift, and Apple has done it as well, an increased, um, an increased focus on the podcasting. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it does come from the revenue split model of when it comes to, you know, streaming music and stuff like that, there are so many mouths that needs to be fed. I mean the label that uploads the music, the, you know, creator itself. Um, there are licensing issues with music in terms mm-hmm. of samples and stuff like that. You know, the pie does seem to get cut from my understanding a lot of different ways. Whereas podcasts, I feel like, you know, not only is the content being made quicker, but it's centralized to one person. You know what I mean? There's yeah. Less people a hand in the pot. So I don't know. And, you know, I was just reading today on marketing land that, podcasts continue to grow especially among like millennials and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and not only that there's been a lot of data suggesting that the advertisements in podcasts are actually a lot more effective than you know the competing medium so it's all stuff to take into account and you know think about when you sort of look at spotify and apple investing millions of dollars into this platform yeah i wonder i wonder if it's if the um, effectiveness of advertising is so much higher because it is sort of a, a quieter space at the moment, podcasting, I mean, I would imagine that YouTube or video uh, would have been in a similar position when it started sort of going mainstream originally. And then, then it just got inundated with everyone sort of producing content and advertising on that platform. Well, yeah, well, that's a great point. I'll be interested to see whether podcasts have their own sort of adpocalypse mm. like YouTube where people, you know, adver- the main advertisers 
go to YouTube and be like, Hey, we only want our ads on, you know, customer friendly content that doesn't have swear words in it and stuff like that. Yeah. And how that would look like some of the raunchier podcasts. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. And I guess even like how they, how they do the advertising because YouTube's really stamped down on how advertising is done through video um, yeah. and podcast advertising. I mean, I guess this raises the question of is there's no, there's no YouTube for podcasting yet or there's mm. no Netflix for video streaming or Spotify for music. So I guess that's going to be sort of the big thing first because mm. that, that company would be able to set the standard, wouldn't, wouldn't they? Mm, yeah. And there is such an advantage in that, you know, being the first mover and stuff like that. Personally, I think that's why YouTube has remained, you know, the mm. platform today because I mean, you talk to all the big users, like the, you know, the biggest content creators for YouTube, I'm not saying that I talk to them personally or anything, but they're <laughs> always talking about, you know, how anti-creative YouTube is, how little feedback they give creators, you know, the fact that they'll just demonetize a video mm-hmm. you know, and not give you clarification for it. And yet with all these problems, it remains the biggest like online yeah. platform. No one's sort of moving away from YouTube, I guess at the end of the day, it's where the advertisers are and where the revenue is or at least the money is. So why would you move away from it? Mm. This next one here, um, studies showing that uh, 30% of Google search results lose first page position on mobile. That's from marketingmag.com.au. And what they're basically showing is that, um, so we all know or most people know that Google treats mobile websites or mobile search results different to desktop search results. And for a long time, um, Google's been trying to optimize how they show search results based off what the website looks like. Um, Mm. But I didn't think that there would be such a huge difference, like 30% lose first page position. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. And correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't a lot of that have to do with whether you're, like if your mobile site isn't optimized for mobile, that really hurts the ranking. Yeah, see, see, we knew that kind of thing. but most websites nowadays should be mobile friendly, especially if you're ranking on the first page on, on desktop, then mm. there'd be a bit of investment into the website and to SEO, you know, no one mm. sort of accidentally lands in that position. Um, mm. to then drop off the top 10 altogether. As soon as you hop on mobile, I guess this mm. just shows that people really have to be thinking about the mobile version of their website first, um, that mobile first sort of, um, mm. Yeah, mantra, because I guess, yeah, research indicates that 50% of all uh, global web browsing is happening on mobile phones. So um, it's not mm. just desktop anymore. It's not just laptops and tablets. Um, um, but yeah, I didn't expect such a huge gap, like such a huge difference. Do you think maybe some of the drop-off has to do with the fact that, at least in my personal experience, um, that a lot of big companies forego developing a really optimized version of their mobile site because they want you to go and download their app. Like yeah, for example, good point. this might not, you know, this is going to be a funny example, but I was trying to order Domino's last night with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. We just like wanted to do it through our phone browser and stuff like that and literally couldn't get it to work because the pop-ups and stuff wouldn't scroll right. the page. And, and we eventually had to give up and download the app because, you know, That's, it just yeah. was not optimized enough. Would you have just sort of would you have instead just ditched and ordered uh pizza hut or would that not have 
No, and that's what we were going to do. It was literally only because we had a voucher for Domino's. Like, I'm right. the type of guy, like, if it doesn't work off the rip, like, I'm out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder if others sort of think the same way. It makes sense. Like, why would you bother to be a customer for someone else? Um, but it's an interesting idea that, yeah, they're forcing you to download the Domino's app, um, for mm. example. Um, mm. Yeah, interesting. All right, moving on to the next point. Um, this is the, the WordPress.com parent automatic. So automatic is the company um, behind, well, owned by the guy who essentially came up with WordPress and they're buying Tumblr. Um, I haven't used Tumblr in a long, long time. I don't know about you, Hayden, but yeah, well the interesting thing that I found about this is that, you know, a year ago or so when Tumblr was bought by Yahoo. Yeah. Six think, years ago, I think. Oh, six years ago. Yeah. Well, anyway, they made a recent change where they basically got rid of all the not safe for work content on their site. And it seemed to almost kill the Tumblr user base. I mean, as you said, we're not really Tumblr's target. No. But, you know, uh, people like my girlfriend bring her up again. She liked to do it for, you know, some anime, you know, blogging, stuff like that. But mm -hmm. it's just a lot of the identity of the site. And it seems like the user base is really um, almost degraded to a point where you like, unrecognizable now. So it's an interesting purchase on WordPress. Yeah. Well, I mean, so it's being, let's see here. So this is on TechCrunch. Um, six years after Yahoo purchased Tumblr for more than mm. $1 billion. So Yahoo is owned by Verizon, which is a mobile telco over, over in the US. Uh, WordPress is buying it for an undisclosed amount, but talk around town supposedly is that it's well below $20 million, which is a crazy, crazy loss, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I love it. Oh, just like quickly. I love how they're like the talk around town. Got to keep your ears to the streets. But yeah, I think that doesn't surprise me with a lot of these platforms and stuff like that. I think they're intrinsically overvalued. So yeah, I mean, for Tumblr, it doesn't seem that far off base for me. I mean, with its current user base. Yeah, I mean, dwindling to nothing. And I guess it raises another thing that, I mean, you know, people talk about Facebook buying Instagram for, I can't remember how much it was for, but it was a crazy amount again. Um, mm. And it just goes to show that it doesn't really matter how big something is when you buy it. It's more a matter of what you do with it moving forward. And yeah. um, so it's going to be interesting to see what sort of WordPress does with it because they've, they've got a stronghold, a stranglehold on, on sort of the general web um, or websites out there with such a huge amount of or percentage of websites out there being mm. powered by WordPress. I wonder if they'll sort of, I don't know, does, does Tumblr become another WordPress? Does it become more of a WordPress before, you know, it became more commercial when it was just a blogging platform? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, like, it's an interesting purchase on my end because WordPress, you know, to the layman who doesn't understand it to the extent you do, mm. WordPress is a development tool and then they've bought a blogging site. So is this purchase basically to tell the, like, tell the public that, hey, you know, this robust, you know, blogging site that is used mm. by you know, thousands of people runs on WordPress, a WordPress framework. Yeah. So you want to do this, you know, moving forward. 
like WordPress True. as a platform to use it. I, but I really can't see any utility, you know, out of purchasing WordPress, you know, besides that. Yeah, because, you, I mean, you wouldn't get the, like, you're, you're not getting a superior platform, I would assume. But maybe, yeah, maybe they are just buying buying the clientele and saying, you know, there's there's this, um, it's all kind of powered by WordPress, hop on board, it's used by professionals. It's mm. it's sort of the way to go if you want to be a professional as well. Maybe that is that is the game. Um, but yeah, in- interesting. Like, it's a cheap acquisition, I'm sure. Um, it just like because WordPress would be making hundreds of millions of dollars every year. So, oh, of course, what happens there? Um, moving on to the next point, uh, Pinterest. Do you use Pinterest much? No, I really don't, and that's why I was going to sort of hand it over to you and like tell myself and like some of the listeners what Pinterest is. Yeah. So Pinterest, the way I see it is, um, it's kind of a, it's a mood board. It's sort of, you can create these boards on Pinterest. I use it for photography when I want to shoot a specific project. I use it to sort of collect images from all over the web and all over Pinterest Mm. itself. Um, Mm. they've, it's one of those, I feel like part of me feels like it never Pinterest has never got traction, but then on the flip side, I know a lot of people using Pinterest and making a lot of money from Pinterest because it sends traffic straight to your website. I often wonder whether it's a, an Australian thing, whether it's like Twitter or it's like a platform that never really caught on in the Australian market whatsoever. Cause recently mm. you know, going to Hawaii and stuff, I saw like the Pinterest logo on like restaurants. I saw it on, you know, right. you know even like street vendors who were like linking to their Pinterest and stuff like that. And really in Australia and in terms of my, like, you know, my social group, the only time I've ever heard it brought up is people who want like tattoo inspiration will go yeah. and get all, you know, like photos of tattoos they like and, you know, um, congregate them on their Pinterest. Yeah. Yeah. That is an interesting point. Maybe, maybe that's why, I mean, I don't think we read the, read the headline, but the headline is that Pinterest opens their first Australian office uh, led by a new country manager. So perhaps they're really pushing into this Australian, New Zealand sort of Asia Pacific market um, mm. and really, really pushing through because they've got offices in Singapore um, to service Southeast Asia and India and then they've got an office in Tokyo. So I guess by coming to Australia, they might be getting getting this sort of area of the market as well. Um, yeah, well, I think that definitely shows a focus on like Australia and New Zealand specifically. Because when, you know, multinational companies like this, you know, come into our market, what they'll do is they'll treat Asia Pacific as exactly that. Mm. You know, Australia is a part of Singapore, China to a lesser extent, you know, and these kind of, But having an office in Australia, I definitely think think means that they're going to do a big push yeah so perhaps you know if you're listening in it's a it's a good opportunity if you have a visual sort of business um it's a good opportunity maybe to think about getting on on pinterest creating an official account for your business um and starting to look at how you can optimize your pinterest profile to generate um generate traffic to your website and you know eventually generate income um moving on to the next point um 10 is well, this is the, this is the channel 10 um, is extending their content partnership with Facebook. This is a bit more close to home um, for us, for Australian listeners. Um, interesting move. I didn't realize that Facebook, I guess Facebook is trying to become the hub, hub of everything, hub mm. for everything. So they've, they've uh, essentially inked another deal um, 
for tend to create exclusive content to an extent and sort of get snippets of content that is pushed through Facebook. Um, interesting move. I, I personally don't watch a whole lot of TV um, and mm. I'm spending less and less time on Facebook. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I don't necessarily, I don't turn to I, Facebook to recap TV shows. I use YouTube for that. Look, I, I definitely agree, but I think this is part of a bigger problem with Australian media and the legislation that's around it currently where, as you said, no one's watching, you know, normal, um, what do you call it? Like landline TV. Yeah, you know, yeah. Stuff. Like free-to-air sort of stuff. Free-to-air TV. And there's not an inherent problem with that, but these channels have a, an obligation to put a certain amount of Australian TV shows on, mm-hmm. you know, on their shows, whereas platforms like Netflix, Stan, all these uh, YouTube, they have no such obligations. So I think what Ten is trying to get out in front of is saying that, hey, Australian media is going to die if we right. don't get bored with these, you know, online platforms and stuff like that. So whether it's effective or not, as you said, I don't, I'm not super confident in it. I think unless they optimize these shows for Facebook, mm. you know, not because it like. I don't see the point in putting a three minute ad for Love Island, you know. <laughs> yeah. Don't even get me started on the, the few times that I do watch, um, watch Facebook videos. It just stops me 10 seconds in to show some, some boring ad for 30 seconds that I, I just genuinely, every time an ad has come up on Facebook when I'm watching, uh, watching a video, I just leave the, the video. I just don't watch it anymore. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I'm just, yeah, maybe, maybe my behavior is a little bit, a little bit different, a little bit funny, but, um, again, though, I guess it's showing that Facebook is making that push into sort of more traditional mediums and mm. we're getting that line blurred, aren't we? Yeah. Well, we, they definitely have like the user base for it. I mean, obviously they're nowhere near the view count that YouTube has, but they like, they have some Facebook videos that have, you know, upwards mm. of 20, 30, 50 million views, but I think it's just, the type of content that is doing well on Facebook isn't really the type of content that 10 produces and that these, um, yeah. typical, well, traditional um, media, yeah. traditional TV doesn't produce that. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, long form, you know, 30 minute shows aren't really conducive <sighs> to being watched on Facebook because as you said before, like you're on your phone, you, you know, yeah, you're just scrolling through. And then for Facebook to earn money, they have to show you advertising. Um, and like a, you know, a TV show, what would have like a half an hour show would have maybe three to five different ad spots. But when it's a five yeah. minute video, you can only afford to really have like one ad spot if that. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it sort of transpires. Um, and they haven't talked from the article. I can't see how big the, the um in terms of dollars the agreement was uh so yeah i guess it's hard to quantify so it might be just a bit of a bit of a pie in the sky just you know mm. we'll maybe just an admitting an admittal on their end that you know traditional media is dying to a certain extent and then mm-hmm. instead of they're going to try to like hop on the bandwagon yeah yeah off, off sort of these established platforms um last two quick points this is um I just thought these are interesting, so I added them in in our little list. Um, the last acquisition founder leaves Facebook. What that basically means is that the the last founder who joined Facebook as part of an acquisition of another another company has left Facebook. Mm. Um, 
So, you know, Facebook has acquired lots of businesses, but the biggest names would be Oculus, who's the VR manufacturer and the VR company. Um, they also acquired WhatsApp and Instagram more famously. Um, I just think, so by the last person leaving now, all these other entities are now under complete guidance and leadership of Facebook, um, mm. which to me is very interesting because that means that Mark, uh, the Zuck can just do whatever the Zuck wants. Um, um, and that's gonna, it's it's just less people in the way, I guess. I'm not saying that everyone else at Facebook just are yes people saying yes to um, what the Zuck wants to do. But, um, yeah, it's less, less, yeah, in the way of that vision. So it's going to lead to interesting things. I mean, I don't think VR has caught on that much. I don't think VR has caught, caught on at yeah, all. Yeah, well, well, that's like what, what I was about to get into. It's like it's hard to judge the the merit of these acquisitions because a lot of them, as you said, it seems like, you know, Facebook bought Oculus like years ago now. Mm. Like I'm pretty sure back in either 2015, 2016. Yeah, it would be. Type space and they've done nothing with it and they let, you know, com- you know competing brands like PlayStation VR and mm. you know, uh, NVIDIA's version of it yeah. sort of overtake them. And while that didn't, you know, take off like I think a lot of people thought it would, they didn't even really give it a go. Mm. Um, mm. And I can't, you know, position I, anyway. Yeah, the, I guess I guess it's just Facebook trying to be ahead of the curve. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, they're a company with a lot of money and stuff like that. And yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they got the resources to sort of stick it out if they have to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it might turn into like a Tumblr sort of deal where they they sell it for you know a tenth, a fiftieth of what they bought it for. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one here, Disney is competing against Netflix. Um, but from from what I what I can see and what I can tell, I think they're going to call it Disney Plus. Is that going to be their service? Do you use Netflix or do you use any sort of streaming? Yeah, so I'm a Netflix subscriber. I've just got on Amazon Prime. Um, let my stand membership um, just basically dwindle away. Uh-huh. I've watched Seinfeld too many times. <laughs> Um, yeah, this Disney stuff is interesting because I think it's sort of a bigger commentary on when Netflix and all these other streaming services came in, I think a lot of people thought, oh, you know, all this content's going to be decentralized and we get to play, pay one uniform fee and we get all this stuff. Whereas it's actually gone back to the original model where, you know, Netflix has its own streaming service and <laughs> HBO has its own streaming service. And there is like, you're going to end content. up... Yeah, it, exactly. And I think like it's going to end up being like the Foxtel cable subscription model where, you know, you pay for HBO and you pay for Netflix and you pay for this, but you might, you, maybe you won't pay for the sports streaming services and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think what Disney have done that is so smart is like in the background in the past like eight to 10 years, they've just bought, they bought every big asset you could ever. Yeah. Get. I mean, they bought what, what they bought Star Wars. Star Wars and Marvel and yes. like they have the backlog of all the Disney films. Like, yeah, yeah. What they're doing now basically is they're taking all the Disney owned content from Netflix and stuff like that and basically shutting it down and then revamping yeah. it for their streaming service. Like that's, I don't know if you watched any of like the Netflix um, Marvel series, like Jessica Jones or Daredevil. But yeah. these, were really, these were some of the most popular shows on the platform. 
but they've all basically been discontinued because yeah, wow. at least the, the theory is that Disney is going to revamp them on their platform and get everyone across. Yeah, why not? I mean, Disney, Disney acquired the uh, Fox, they own ESPN, they have mm. Hulu, which is another streaming service. Um, mm. And it, it's, it's such an interesting case of, I mean, I'm used to, I don't know if you watch the Shark Tank. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Kevin on Shark Tank, he always says, you know, you're a little cockroach. Someone's gonna, someone's big, big is going to come into this game and just, you know, step on you and you're going to die and they're going to win. Um, you wouldn't imagine that you'd say that about Netflix being such a big business, but I guess it just goes to show just how massive Disney is coming in. I and, mean, and I think, yeah. And I think the, the ubiquity of Netflix sort of shields us from the reality that I think in their last quarter, I could be wrong about this, but I, rem- I, re- I remember reading somewhere that even though they grew in subscriber base, it was well below their projected estimates and stuff like that. And Netflix right. has always been one of those companies that is still trying to figure out like Uber to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, how to actually make money out of their model and stuff because the licensing fees of a lot of their shows are very expensive. Like you can't get the office, you know, yeah. great sitcoms on your platform without paying, you know, out the ears for them. So true. Uh, uh, is, is Netflix profitable? Have a little... ah. I, I think they're not as bad as companies like Uber and stuff like that, who are really well, trying to, yeah. <laughs> and no one is, they're just hemorrhaging man, money. I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't think Uber, <laughs> Uber even but, counts as a real business. Mm, but I think when Netflix, you know, had that like physical DVD model and then transitioned in the online space, they weren't so successful and then they figured it out from there. Yeah. It started to stagnate as other competitors have come in. But yeah, it's a real, it's a real worrying time for Netflix and stuff like that. I, I would, yeah, I, w- I would completely agree with you. It's, trying to see it looks like yeah i mean netflix is well when was it 2018 they brought in a total of 16 billion dollars us i would assume um yes that was a 1.2 billion dollar income i'm I'm surprised but i guess for them the more more original content original shows they start to produce and and uh push through their platform the the more profit they'll be making because like, like you were saying, like traditional media versus podcasting, it's Mm. very expensive. A lot of people get a cut of the pie and, you know, everyone's Mm. taking one to 5% here and there. And oh, the margins would definitely be razor thin, but I'm just reading this article from the New York times. that was um, published on the 17th of July that basically said in um, it lost 126,000 paid subscribers in the U S alone during this second quarter of this year yeah and that's I think, insane yeah and i just goes to show that now that you know everyone is seeing what the future is like these online streaming platforms where they're basically on demand you get the content when mm-hmm. you want how you, that you know netflix is no longer the big dog yeah you know? yeah with everyone else coming in and that's definitely why they're creating so much like you know content of their own that they own rather yeah. than people's that's going to be how they make their money in the future. That's okay. true. They, they could just, they could just sell the royalties to, or well, make money through royalties by selling their shows to Disney, et cetera. If they, if Disney wants to buy it. Mm. Um, yeah. Wow. Well on that note, I guess uh, we'll wrap up um, this, this episode. 
Um, that was the last two weeks um, on a Tuesday. Um, I'd be, we'd be interested to hear what you thought about that, this sort of concept. Um, and you, you're, of course, welcome to just send us any, um, any articles, um, any news points that you want to hear more about. Um, and you think um, we'd be able to provide some interesting, interesting thoughts on. Um, thanks for joining, Hayden. Not a problem, my man. Um, I'll leave you to edit this episode shortly before it goes live. Um, yeah. Talk to, talk to you guys in the next episode. Uh, catch you later. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Future Drive podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app. It goes a long way to helping us. If you have any thoughts, questions, or comments, email us at hello at futuretri.be. If you haven't already, become a part of the tribe on Facebook. Go to futuretri.be slash fb and invite your friends. We're just getting started and we would love to see you there. That's it from us. I hope this episode has empowered you to keep working on bettering your future. It's a pleasure to have you as part of the tribe. See you next time.